Welcome to Heartland Church. It is our prayer that as you listen to the following message, you would experience the heart of God for your life. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Now, let's join this week's service already in progress. Let me see. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. This is uh, Christmas time. We're, we're now officially in the Christmas season. So it is legal for me to preach out of the Christmas passages. And uh, I love preaching out of the Christmas passages. And uh, use, I'll, I'll often do, there's a few years I haven't done a Christmas series. And I don't know if we'll do one this year. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cram a whole bunch into just one Sunday here this morning. If you look at Luke, Luke covers the Christmas story from Mary's perspective. It really covers the, the, the what they call the Immaculate Conception. The, you know, how Mary the Virgin became impregnated by the Spirit of God and she was carrying the Son of God. Matthew, on the other hand, approaches it from Joseph's perspective. And those are two very unique perspectives, two very unique people that were going through a very, very unique situation. And so we can approach this story from both perspectives. This morning, we're going to look at Mary's story because I think it holds for us some truths. Now, just as a little backstory, not, not on the Christmas story, but a backstory for us as a church, uh, the Lord has really been speaking to me the last two years, and it really began when Pastor Bob Phillips passed away. Matter of fact, it began before he passed away. It was a week and a half before Bob passed away. Uh, many of you knew Bob. Some of you did not. Bob and Sherry Phillips moved here uh, to be on staff at our church, and uh, Bob was with us for one year and then went to be with the Lord. Now, Bob was a well-known man of God, had a, a fascinating background, had been used across the nations, fathered a number of revivals, was co-founder of Times Square Church with David Wilkerson, was on staff at the Brownsville Revival, just a tremendous history, tremendous man of God. And I've come to believe, now in retrospect, I've often said I'm more a historian than a prophet, I see everything real clear in retrospect, uh, I realize that the Lord brought Bob here to release an inheritance to us as a house. That there's a reason that Bob ended up here when he passed away. There's a reason that he wasn't in Houston where he pastored so many years. There's a reason he wasn't in so many other places. I know uh, there were a number of other people that tried to hire Bob, but he came here to a little old Iowa and a little old cornfield and a little old house called Heartland. And it was because God wanted to deposit something to us. The week before Bob passed, I was, uh, it, would, it would have been, I, I believe it was the week, it might have been a week and a half before he passed, Bob and I were sitting next to each other on the front row, and Paul Yadal was here, and Paul was preaching, and uh, matter of fact, I got some pictures of Bob, because he was, he was a real cut up, we were goofing around on the front row, and he was making jokes, and I was trying to discreetly take photos, so I wouldn't be a bad example to the rest of you, but I still have those on my phone, and uh, as we were sitting there, Paul began to preach, and I, made, I wrote these notes. I wrote at the, up of, at the top of the page, when great men die. Now, I wasn't, of course, thinking of the man sitting next to me, because I had no idea that Bob was going to go to be with the Lord. I just, I knew that, uh, just the Lord was speaking to me about a principle that Paul Yadal was talking about, and often when I hear other preachers, I'll start taking two sets of notes. I'll make notes on what they're saying, and then I'll take notes on what the Lord is saying to me on these little tributaries that came off of that. And this was one of those. Uh, and the Lord just began to speak to me about how when great men die, there is a storehouse in which their inheritance goes. There's a trust in which the, the, the revelation, the resources that those people accumulated are placed so that we can receive them. There's a fascinating passage, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, it says this, that the things that are concealed belong to the Lord, but those that are revealed belong to us and our children's children. In other words, once revelation is released into the earth, it belongs to us and to the generations. It's something we're to pass down. Those things don't go back into hiding. Those things aren't, aren't shut up now once again. Scripture is very clear that there are some revelation, there are some truths that are shut up into the time in which God is going to release them into the earth. Ephesians chapter 3 speaks of that. That there are times, there's release date for some truths because they're game changers. It changes human history. 
But when God releases that to a man or woman, when they pass, even though they may not have released that through a book, it may not be in, it may not be on a CD or on a podcast that they released. God released it to them in their secret and their, their private time. There's still a sense in which that's been released to the human race and it goes to their children's children. And the Lord was speaking to me about all this and I was making notes. It was very intriguing to me. Never really thought of those things before. And uh, I just began to write a bunch of stuff and then just forgot about it. It was on my iPad. Then I got a call from Sherry and said, Bob, the, the, uh, the, e- the EMTs are here. They're trying to do CPR and it doesn't look good. We rushed over there and, of course, Bob went to be with the Lord. And I was brokenhearted and I knew the next Sunday I was going to have to just address this. And, and it was just a fitting thing. I felt like we need to memorialize Bob and, and honor this man who God had had with us. And so... I was just thinking about a number of things, actually forgot everything the Lord had spoke to me a, a week before. That's why it's important to write down when the Lord speaks to you. Because you will often forget what the Lord says. I, there's a lot of times I'll look at my hard drive and I'll think, wow, that's good. I never thought of that before. I guess I did. I typed it, but I forgot about that for years ago. And so it's important to write down what the Lord shows you. And so I got here Sunday morning. I was going to just eulogize Bob, and I, as I got to the office, I opened my iPad, and boom, up came those notes, and my hair stood up. And realized the Lord was already speaking to me before Bob passed. That there's something released when great men die. And that was not just a teaching, it was a prophetic word. It was something the Lord wanted us to realize. And it's been a year, it's going on two years here in April, since that happened. And the Lord began to really speak to me during that season about this idea of inheritance. And we went down to Bob's funeral in Houston. We had a funeral here and then we had another one in Houston. And there was a group of us drove all day to get down there and be there. And, and Papa Jack Taylor got up and, and he shared about the Lord began to speak to him about the great cloud of witnesses out of Hebrews chapter 12. And I was intrigued by that. And there was, there was a group of seminary presidents that Bob sat on the board with of a journal that put out uh, theological material. And they were, Bob was the only one that was, didn't have a doctorate. Bob had two academic master's degrees, but Bob could hold his own. He was also the only Pentecostal. And Bob was a tremendous blessing to these men because Bob was a man of revelation. And one of them got up and he was so intrigued by the things that the Lord had told Jack Taylor about the great cloud of witnesses. And this is what the Lord told Bob. He said, or Jack, he said, don't you, because Jack said, God, God, why would you take Bob? He was my go-to theology guy. When I was wrestling with an issue, I would call Bob. And the Lord said, do you really think that I would take Bob and use him less in heaven? Do you think he's going to get a downgrade once he dies? Don't you realize that I give my servants more influence when they pass? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd never thought about that. That was kind of a I, 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 theological thought to me, okay? That kind of put me on tilt. And that, I remember that one of the seminary presidents getting up and commenting on that and then grabbing Bob afterwards and saying, I've never thought about that. You've kind of bent my brain here a little bit. And he was going to wrestle through that. Well, that was just a little truth that was deposited in my heart. And the Lord's continued to speak to me over the last couple years on those themes. And then this past year, Linda Schreer went to be with the Lord. And Linda was an intercessor in this region who carried uh, a tremendous weight in intercession and in promises that the Lord had given her. And we were contending, and there was a couple of other situations here in the state we were contending for the lives of some important people. And we lost a couple of important people this past year. And I really struggled with that. And the Lord began to speak to me again. As a matter of fact, it was, it was before Linda passed that I went over to see Mike and Linda. And Mike shared a truth out of Hebrews chapter 12 about the great cloud of witnesses. He, was, he had an encounter with the Lord on that before Linda's passing. And when he said it, it so struck me. I, I couldn't shake it. I went home and I got into Hebrews 11 and I couldn't get out of Hebrews 11. As a matter of fact, I, I told you to go to Luke 2, but, or Luke 1. We're going to go back there, but go with me to Hebrews 11 very quickly. And let me read a verse to you, or a couple of verses. And then I want to get into Luke chapter 1, because it is relevant to the Christmas story. What I want you to understand is that we're in a season as a church 
where God is releasing inheritance to us. We're in a season where there have been some weighty people, some people who have, who have paid a price for what they walked in. And they were not allowed to realize all that was in their heart. And there was a purpose behind some of the promise that God had given to them to be withheld from them. And we need to realize this principle because sometimes we can get our heart offended or we can get discouraged and the enemy will come in and try to leverage those disappointments against us and tell us, see, God can't be trusted. He gives promises and the very people that begin to proclaim the promise ended up dying before the promise was fulfilled and see, it was a pipe dream. And the Lord wants us to understand. He wants us to be able to under, He wants us to be able to steward the promises of God. And He wants us to understand that when people receive promises and, and, and they receive it in promise form and never realize it in fulfillment form before they go to be with the Lord, there is an increase in what's going to be released. That there's a greater release if they die before the fulfillment. And I feel like the Lord really wants to press this home this morning. And so I'm using the Christmas story as an excuse to share this with you this morning. We're in a season of great inheritance. This past year and a half has been a time where God is allowing us to tap into some things that you and I have not paid the price for. And it's very similar to what Mary went through. And I'll explain what I meant in just a moment. Hebrews chapter 11, it's the story of the heroes of faith, and it's called the Hall of Faith. And it's the story, it, it, they go through in verse 32, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. And we've talked about this passage at various times over the last year and a half. If you've been around during that time, you've heard us speak on this passage. And then in the middle of verse 35 is this troubling transition in this story of great men and women of faith who saw so many great things done. And then we hear this. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released that they might gain an even better resurrection. And this is where this passage of great men and women of faith takes a decided turn and it gets into some material that you and I don't aspire to. Previous to that, it's, it's the stuff we aspire to. People being raised from the dead, routing foreign armies, closing the mouths of lions, all these great stories of faith. But then we have this turn, this little detour in this passage, and there's this whole other group of people that we, we don't usually read about and don't like to talk about, and the fact is, there are, there are streams that really emphasize this, but they ignore the other group. <laughs> and, and, and in Christendom today, these two separate streams usually are two separate streams that don't meet. There's the one that celebrate the people who see great victories by faith and see miracles, and they, we buy into that, we believe for miracles, and we're, we're not cessationists, we're continuous, so we're going to contend for these things. And then there's the others who embrace suffering, and they, they see that God has a bigger plan, and, and they're not believing for breakthrough, and they embrace this end. And which one is true? And the answer is, uh-huh. Yeah, both are. And we need to be a stream, we need to be a church, we need to be a people who embraces both streams. That God gets to choose which one we flow in. We need to be a people that are contending for miracles, but we also need to be a people that keep the faith when the miracle doesn't happen. And we understand that behind that, behind the denial, and even sometimes this passage says the refusal, because there's two groups of people in this second group, those who refuse the promise and those who are denied the promise, and one who refuses it understand that they're giving it up for something greater, and those who are denied are often left in the dark, but for the same purpose, so that God can release something greater and we need to be of the people that embrace both it's not either or we're a people of believing for breakthrough but we're also a people that embrace suffering and we realize that suffering is part of a kingdom reality 
You guys remember Will, Will Hart that was here a couple weeks ago. Do you realize the, the ministry that Will is the CEO over, Iris Ministries, Roland and Heidi Baker are the founders. One of their core values, I'm talking the ones they post on the wall, is suffering. That kind of wigs me out. I have an appreciation for it, but a core value. But they understand this principle of intercessory suffering being that they can go in and they can pay the price for those who are coming after them. And that's what this passage is talking about. So he goes in and he says, they were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. It was this group of people that it says specifically the world was not worthy of. All these others that saw great exploits... They're in the hall of faith. They're, they're revered as heroes of the faith, but it doesn't say of this group of people the world was not worthy. It's only those who were denied and still believed. And then it goes on and says, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us that only together with us would they be made perfect. And then we come to the Christmas story. What does this have to do with the Christmas story? Well, I'm about to tell you if my... Bible will open here. I'm buying time. See, if we had a TV ministry, we'd edit this piece out. Okay, there we go. Look, at, look with me in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now prior to this, this book opens up with the the conception of John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptizer. He was the forerunner, spoken of by Isaiah and Malachi, and he would pave the way for the Messiah. He would pave the way for Jesus. And so John would come preaching a message of repentance that would prepare the way for the Lord. He would make the high places low and the low places high, make a straight way for the Lord. And literally, his message would prepare a pathway in the human heart. He would tell them, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then on the heels of that, John's baptizing them into repentance. Then one day, John says, behold, the Lamb of God, the crowd parts, and Jesus walks up and presents himself to his cousin and says, baptize me. And John is so moved, he says, I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. And Jesus said, listen, I have to fulfill all of righteousness. I've got a path to walk. And so John baptizes him. The open heaven happens. The, the audible voice and Jesus is driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the enemy. And John's ministry is now on its twilight years when Jesus comes on the scene. But this is the picture of how all this came about. Zechariah has an encounter with an angel. Uh, and the angel tells him, your prayers have been heard. He goes home and tells his wife, they're both well along in years. She's past, she's past menopause. She's past the years where she's going to have children. And so now he comes home and he tells her, you know, he, he doesn't tell her because he, he can't even talk. The Lord has taken his voice and she has a child. And this child is now going to be the forerunner. But in the, in the interim period, before, after the promise in John's conception and before he's birthed, we have another miraculous conception that comes about here. Look at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now this is the same angel that confronted John in the holy place in the temple. He comes and he, he tells John, he said, you're going to have a child. And John says, John says a dumb thing to the angel. He says, how do I know this is going to happen? Because my wife's well along in years. And the angel said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And because you have doubted me, you will not be able to speak until the, until the birth. And so John comes out. He can't talk. It's the same angel. So this is a high-ranking angel, Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel goes now to the town of Nazareth, six months later, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
And so this is the beginning of what we call the Christmas story. You have this young girl. Now, tradition tells us Mary was about 14, 15 years old. Uh, Tradition also says she was out in the backyard washing dishes when the angel of the Lord, angel Gabriel, shows up and makes this announcement to her and tells her, you are highly favored. He greets her, he says, uh, he says, greetings, do not be afraid, you have found favor with God. And uh, or the, he says, greetings, you were highly favored, the Lord is with you. And she was troubled. She didn't see herself that way. And so we, we have this picture of this young girl who becomes the catalyst for what you and I now enjoy. Now, we've looked at the Christmas story. If you've been around here for a number of years, each year we usually take the Christmas story and look at it as the template into how God invades human history. Because there are dynamics in the Christmas story that God always abides by. It was the template. It was the original kingdom invasion. And there's a number of, number of components to that we've looked at in the past that God always invades with an infant expression. We, you know, they were looking for a Messiah to walk in the door and what arrives is a little tiny baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. They're looking for the Messiah to become the conqueror, to overthrow Roman rule, and it's a baby. But if we're not careful, we can miss what God sends because we end up despising the day of small beginnings. We've looked at the dynamics of the different players in this story over the years. We've looked at how Joseph was a necessary component. Joseph didn't give life to Mary. He, didn't, he, did not, he wasn't the father of her child. Back, it was, I think, in 2004. I, I became the pastor in 2003, and in 2004, we were in the midst of a season of really intensely seeking the Lord, and it was Christmas season. I began to study this passage, and the Lord spoke to me out of this passage concerning Joseph, and this is what he told me. He said, Dave, I don't need you to bring life to Heartland. He said, that's my job. He said, but what I need you to do is lend your good name to that which others will think is illegitimate until this thing can run on its own. I've always wondered about that last part. (laughs) But it's the job of a leader to give protection to that fledgling infant expression that often will look illegitimate to other people. And Jesus was accused of being an illegitimate child, never realizing how legitimate his life really was. But Joseph lent his good name and gave a covering to this. And it was a picture of leadership giving a covering to the church. We've looked at these different dynamics over the years. But we need to understand that this is a template because when God invades human history, there are certain pieces that have to be in place. And one of the things that stand out to me about this passage, really a couple of things. Number one, God moved through a family. It was the family of David. And while God was moving through Elizabeth, a cousin, he was also moving through Mary, another relative. It says, as a matter of fact, the angel even says, your relative is six months along. The Lord has already visited her and she is presently with child. This, the one who was beyond the childbearing years. There's something that God does in families. That's true both uh, in spiritual families and in physical families. There are times where God will begin to visit a group of people and when you are related to them, spiritually speaking, when there are people that you've rubbed shoulders with and you've ran with in the Lord, when God begins to move in one, then you have an inheritance in that if you're in relationship with them. God is always moving on multiple planes at once. And we often think of our, our, just our little situation down here. We don't realize that God is moving in different different avenues, different places. And Mary, here she is. She doesn't even realize she is walking in the favor of God. But God is already visiting her family members. And the reason they're qualified was because of something they received from decades earlier from their great-great-great-grandfather named David. Matter of fact, in this passage, it even says, it says, It refers to Jesus as the son of David. I can't even conceive of that. That God in the flesh 
would so esteem a man that he would refer to himself as the son of that man. It's an amazing thing. If you read this story, you realize the esteem that God had for this man, David. And that needs to provoke you this morning, that it is possible for a human to grip the heart of God. God captures our heart. We sing about those kind of things. But I'm telling you, you can capture God's heart. You can capture the heart of God in such a way that God will visit the generations of your family line. And we see this in this family, that Mary is qualified because of her great-great-great-grandfather, David. But there was also a posturing of her heart because the angel said, you have received favor. We need to understand that favor is not just something that's arbitrary on God's end. What I mean by that is God doesn't just say, you know what, I'm gonna, they're one of my favorites. I'm, I'm going to give them favor and I'm not going to give them. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. There is something about favor that we posture our heart for and that it is accrued. In other words, there is an accruing of favor. There is a building up of favor. There is a, a, uh, a gathering of favor. There's things that you can do to bring favor on your life that attracts heaven's activity. And that's what the angel was saying. He said, you have found favor. There are people that carry more favor than other people. It's the root word of the word favorite. Now we know that God doesn't have, we, God doesn't play favorites. It's not an arbitrary game with God, but it's very clear in scripture that God favors some above others. So it's not a game. It's not that he is a, uh, uh, a, a uh, God doesn't just arbitrarily interact in that way. God bestows favor because of the heart posture. He's not a respecter of persons, but he is a respecter of heart attitude. Even Jesus, it said, grew in favor with God and man. I want you to think about that. The Son of God himself, God in the flesh, he took on human flesh, walks among men, and then it says he grew in favor with not only his fellow man, but Jesus grew in favor with God. He began to accrue this thing called favor. He began to build up this thing called favor that attracted not only men to him, it attracted God to him. And Mary was walking in this thing called favor. That needs to provoke us to hunger. Because whenever God begins to move, He's looking for those who have accrued this substance, this stuff, this spiritual attractional substance of grace called favor. Favor causes people to want to work with you. Favor causes people to want to relate with you. They may not even really so much like your personality, but there's something about you that makes them want to interact with you. But when we speak of Jesus in the New Testament, we realize that this substance called favor isn't just for human re relationships. There is a thing called the favor of God that attracts God to us. And we can accrue it. Jesus grew in favor. There was a point at which Jesus had less favor than he would have later on. I don't even fully understand that, but it fascinates me and it provokes me to hunger. I want that on my life. I want to I want to begin to accumulate this stuff called favor that causes God to want to relate with me. That causes God to want to begin to act on my behalf and interact with me. I want to leverage this thing called favor with God for the kingdom of God. And the fact is, you can have favor and not even realize it. Because Mary is an example of that. When the angel came and said, you who are highly favored, she was troubled by that. She was like, she didn't know what that meant. She was, she was intrigued, like, why would I have favor? And what does the angel say? He said, do not be afraid. 
Mary, you have found favor with God. He has to reiterate this principle. He has to inform her that there's this, there was this accruing of this grace, a substance on her life that made her attractive to God. I want you to catch this. It is grace. It's un, grace. We, we talk about unmerited favor. But there's another form of this that not everybody gets. Do you understand that? Not everybody gets this thing called favor to the same degree. So what's the deciding factor? What causes a one to have more favor than another? I believe there's a number of attributes in Scripture. There's humility. There's purity of heart. Uh, there's, these, these, there's hunger that causes us to pursue Him. The fact is what we need to realize this morning is that not everybody has the same measure of favor. It's available to you, but not everybody walks in the same measure. Are you hungry for that? Do you want that? Does that awaken something within you that says, God, I want you to explain this thing to me. I want to understand how this thing works. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. The opposition of heaven is the exact opposite of favor with God. It's when God will thwart your efforts because he can't afford to bless them because you'll take credit for them. So there's a way we can posture our heart where God will put this on our life. And so you have this Mary, this young virgin girl, who began to accrue this thing called favor in her life. And God is working in this entire family. Now here's where I want to tie it in with Hebrews chapter 11. There's a reason that the angel says to her, or that, that the text says, and he does say it later on, the text says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Nothing is written in Scripture by chance. There is a purpose for every line of Scripture. And that's why we can study the Word. That's why we put weight on every little, every little sentence. So when the Holy Spirit prompted Luke to say, it was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. What he's saying is the context of Mary's pregnancy was Elizabeth's pregnancy. The context in which all of a sudden Mary, this young virgin, was brought into a supernatural conception was the context of the supernatural conception of her elder cousin. And it's juxtaposing this thing. You've got Mary, who's, who's just a young girl. She's a young maiden. She's a, she's a virgin. She's never known a man. Supernatural. This, is, this cannot be. Either she's going to have to get married to Joseph and conceive. She's going to have to do it illegitimately. Or this is going to have to be a supernatural thing. But then you have this, what pre, predated this thing, what, what preceded this thing was Elizabeth, a woman who had longed for something to happen for years that had never broke into what she longed for. So here's one, Mary, who's breaking into something prematurely, and you have Elizabeth, who never broke into it, and now that time of her life is past. And there's this forlorn longing in her. She was wishing something would happen. She was wanting to see some breakthrough in her life. She was contending. The angel, of, the angel Gabriel specifically tells, tells Zachariah, he said, your prayers, referring to the prayers of Zachariah and his wife Elizabeth, he said, they have been heard. There's two alternatives here. It could have been that they're still praying long beyond the time where they should have been able to conceive. More likely, what he was referring to are the prayers of decades ago when they were longing and still holding out and they, they were in their 20s and then their 30s and then they're entering into their 40s and she's still crying out, God, would you give us a child? Would you give us a child? And that season of their life came and went and they were still being faithful to the Lord. It says in the previous passage there in chapter 1, it says that they were blameless before the Lord, yet barren. And they were still holding on. And all of a sudden, there's this visitation, this breakthrough. 
And here's my point this morning. That when God moves, there's this often this converging. That the, the people that are contending for the move before it happens often have to wait much longer than they think. Often there's this, this being put off, this denial of what they're crying out for. And they carry that thing faithfully. And God needs those who will, just like it says in Hebrews 11, they were denied. And yet the world was not worthy of them because they stayed in faith. And then what they do is they pay the price for that next generation to break, break into something prematurely. I said this thing recently somewhere. I think I shared it in Columbia, but I think I might have shared it on a Wednesday night. It was a few years ago. I might have even shared it in here on a Sunday. A few years ago, I was asking the Lord about John the Baptist one morning. I'd slept in that morning. It was my day off, and I was just reading the Word in bed on my, my phone, and it was talking about John the Baptist and how the Lord spoke to Zechariah what a great man he would be and turned the hearts of the fathers to the children, the children of the fathers is going to prepare the way for the Lord. And I just said to the Lord out loud, Lord, why don't you just make a whole generation of Johns? We could wrap this whole thing up, this whole thing called human history. If you can, if you can make a man like that and you can tell us before he's even born he's going to be like that, then why, can't you, why don't you just make a whole generation of Johns? And I knew there was a, a mystery behind it, but I was just talking out loud, never expecting the Lord to answer me. And he began to tell me about how Elizabeth and Zechariah paid the price for him to break into something that he would not have been able to break into. And that's why they were denied those years. Their intercession was clearing the way so that he would start ahead of the pack. He was going to have the battles that he would have fought that could have pulled him off track were removed through the intercession of his parents for years, even after he, was, he was, should have been conceived. And so he was, they were withheld, and then they had this breakthrough. And he began to speak to me about the children of the barren womb all through Scripture. The Samsons and the Johns. These people of, the, you know, the Isaacs and, and the, these people who are the children of the barren womb. And it was just the next week I went over to Nebraska and I was preaching at a, a ministry school there. And I was praying over people and this young man came up and there was just this prophetic flow that night. And I laid hands on him. I said, oh man, I said, and I told him what the Lord spoke to him. I said, I see this John the Baptist thing on you. And I told him how the Lord spoke to me that previous week about that principle. And he looked, his eyes got real big. He said, you're kidding. And he said, my mom and dad couldn't have children. And they prayed and prayed and prayed for a long time. They couldn't have kids. And finally they had me. And I said, well, that's on your life. Your parents paid a price in intercession and God withheld from them the normal process so they could remove some obstacles because of the profound call on your life. And so here's the point. There are those that go before us that pay the price and they have to carry something longer than normal so that the next generation can break into it prematurely and step into it earlier than normal. It's the, it's the, the principle of inheritance. And the Lord wants to, us to understand this principle because He is in this season releasing to us an inheritance. There were promises given to those we've lost over the last couple years that God wants to release to us. And there's a greater inheritance because of that. But what we need to do is we need to position ourselves like a Mary. Mary was a virgin. She kept herself pure. She accrued favor with the Lord. And the Lord positioned her so he could release something greater to her. And she became the, the, the mother of this move. She became the mother of the Messiah. It is not a coincidence that Elizabeth carried this burden before Mary. And she had to go decades without bearing a child. She went longer than most. She was paving the way for Mary to come in earlier, just like what she was carrying in her belly would pave the way for what Mary would carry. John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus, and Elizabeth paved the way for Mary. And it is the way of the kingdom. 
And there's a reason that the angel said to her, even now, your relative. Because in this thing, we're all related. And we need to understand that God has us on a journey. And we can get so locked into our problems and our troubles and our situation and our promises and we can get laser focused. And if we don't receive the breakthrough that we believe, we can get disillusioned. And the enemy wants to leverage that and cause us to give up and think, well, I guess all of it was just a pipe dream I didn't hear correctly. But Hebrews 11 is very clear. They died believing the promise. It was a legitimate promise. And it was legitimate faith. But there was a greater breakthrough because they were passing it on. And that is what happened with Elizabeth and Mary. This morning I was, just, just the last few days I've been meditating on this. And this morning I had two different messages in my heart. And frankly this was the one that I was less ready for. <laughs> But I was struggling. I had these two themes. There's some other things that I've been studying and just meditating on. And I got up early this morning and Brittany had sent me a dream. And she said in the dream she saw this contention. And she said, then I saw, in the dream, I saw Linda Schreer at the top of some stairs. And she was waving for us to come higher. and We were to enter into a greater inheritance. And I said, okay, Lord, that's all I need. I'm telling you, we're in a season where God wants to release an inheritance to us. But one of the ways in which we do that is we realize the principle. There are things that are accessible to us. There are things that we've been contending for that others have gone before. There's some of you who are just brand new to this thing. You're just stepping into this. You guys on the front row... (laughs) God, God's brought you here just recently, and the Lord's brought you here so you can step into something that other people have been laboring for for many years. But we're in a season of inheritance. Whenever God's moving, He's moving on multiple generations and on multiple planes. And before He releases the supernatural birth out of a virgin womb, He opens up the, the womb that's long known intimacy and never had the breakthrough. It speaks of that generation who's been contending and crying out. They knew intimacy but never knew power. Scripture's clear that the first child is the first sign of the father's strength. And Elizabeth and her husband had been faithful. They had a good marriage. They'd been crying out to God. They were blameless according to the law. And even though they knew intimacy with one another, they never broke into the power of a firstborn son. Until it was past the time. And God withheld that release from them. Because with them, he was going to release the Messiah. And Elizabeth was paving the way for Mary. Some of you have been carrying promises for many, many years. I want to encourage you, get your hopes up. Don't let go of the promise. Because you're paving the way for the next generation. What God wants to do is pull a next generation into something that they didn't pay the price for, that the Elizabeths paid the price for. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, verse 29, and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I was reading that this week, and it said he will reign on the throne of his father David. There was this generational thing that was culminating in Mary's day. And Jesus was going to reign upon a throne established by by this this great-great-grandfather way back called David. Do you realize that Jesus reigns from the throne of David today? It's not a physical throne. It explains why David was able to usurp and displace these demonic gods that had come against Israel 
for centuries. And David was able to just push him back because David sat on a, a spiritual throne that Jesus now sits on. And Mary was going to give birth to that thing. She asked this question, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? It has always struck me in this passage. If you were to put yourself in Mary's shoes, it says she's already betrothed to Joseph. She's promised to a man. She's heading towards marriage. Joseph would have been getting a place prepared for them. That was the Jewish custom. That's why Jesus said, Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. So Joseph would have been working to prepare a house for for Mary. And then once it was ready, he would come with the wedding party and wed her. And they would, you know, enter into their marriage, married life. And so she already understood she was going to be married to this man. She was considered literally already promised to Joseph so much so that when Joseph heard she was pregnant, when he found out she was pregnant and heard this crazy story, it said that Joseph was going to divorce her quietly. He was going to do it quietly because he was an honorable man, but he just didn't believe the story. You can't blame the guy. But it was going to take a divorce to sever the, degree, the agreement. This, thing, this was much more than a, just a, an engagement in our culture. It literally would take a legal divorce to sever the tie. And the angel came to him in a dream. It's it's, it's fascinating how you see angels all over this thing. Because whenever God's ready to move, the angelic activity begins to uptick. There's this angelic activity all across the board. An angel comes to Zechariah. An angel comes to Mary. An angel comes to Joseph in a dream. And that angelic encounter gave him a download that was in the real world. This was the real deal. Then an angel comes to Joseph again and says, in a dream, tells him to move to Egypt. All throughout this scenario is this angelic activity. And this angel comes to Mary and he says, you're going to be with child and to be the son of the Most High. And she asked the question, how is this going to be since I'm a virgin? I was, I was intrigued by that. Why wouldn't she just assume he was talking about after she got married? There was something about what he said that she understood. This is a supernatural thing that's going to happen before I'm married. And the, the Lord gives you this answer. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the son born to you will be called the son of God. And then he adds this, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. The King James puts it this way, nothing is impossible with God. The Greek, it's better better translated this way, no word spoken by the Lord fails to have the power to bring itself to pass. We said again, no word spoken by the Lord fails to contain the power in itself to bring itself to pass. If God has given you a word, the way he does it is always the same. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. He'll birth something in you. And the very word of the Lord that was released to you initially contains the power to fulfill the word of the Lord because the Lord looks after the word that he releases. Matter of fact, the angels that were involved in this whole scenario, it says that angels are messengers. They release the word of the Lord. They respond to the word of the Lord. The Lord watches over his word. And they fight to bring that word in the form of an inheritance to pass. So what does Mary do? She goes and she hightails it to Elizabeth's house. And she lives with Elizabeth for the next three months until Elizabeth is ready to give birth. When she walks in the door, Elizabeth's baby jumps because what Mary's carrying is born witness with what Elizabeth is carrying. And so Mary was very wise. She got with someone who was a little farther along in the process. Wasn't good enough that she had favor. It wasn't good enough that the Spirit of God was upon her. It wasn't good enough that she had a promise that in and of itself had the power enough to bring it about. She found somebody that was a little farther along in the process and allowed them to pour into her for three months. And by the time Elizabeth was giving birth, Mary was 
through her first trimester, the hardest one in my house. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I want to pray over us. I believe that dream that Brittany had last night was a confirmation of what the Lord's been dealing with me on. And so I want you to lift your hands right now. Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for this principle that you've been releasing to us over the last year and a half. Lord, I thank you for the principle of inheritance. And Lord, I thank you for those who have gone before us. Lord, some that are still with us have labored for years and have almost given up on the promises that you've given to them. Lord, I thank you for the Zacharias and Elizabeths in our midst. But Lord, I thank you also for those who have gone before us, who were denied the promise and now are part of the great cloud of witnesses. Lord, I thank you that what they labored for in the Spirit did not die with them. But those resources, those revelations are given to us and our children's children. Lord, I thank you for the generational release of inheritance. And Lord, we just receive it from you. I want you just to just say to the Lord right now in your own way, in your heart of hearts, just Lord, I receive the inheritance. I receive the deposit. Father, we thank you for those who labored among us and have gone before us over this last couple of years. Father, we receive because of the principles of your word. And now, Father, I'm asking that you would raise up Mary's. Lord, those who never even had the opportunity to pay the price because they're just coming into this thing. And Lord, let us reap the benefit of those who have labored in obscurity and barrenness for years. Barrenness, but faithfulness. Lord, we thank you for it. Lord, I thank you for this season of inheritance, Lord, that you're teaching us to co-labor with the saints around the throne. The greatest prayer meeting that has ever gone on is going on at the throne right now. Lord, I thank you that our prayers are mixed with theirs. And Lord, that you're releasing off the the censers in heaven the answers to prayer, Lord. We thank you for it. You've been listening to a presentation from Heartland Church in Ankeny, Iowa. For more information about our ministry and its available resources, visit us on the web at heartlandchurchonline.com. Thanks for listening.